0: Welcome back, podcast listeners, listeners, episode 144 here, and Tony, I'm actually going to flick straight to you on this, because we're going to open up today's podcast with your best piece of financial advice before you introduce our guest. Don't get divorced. I said that to you, didn't I? So basically, it was a case of that... You know, first of all, you knew you are batting well above your average with Jess. And secondly, if you ever want to keep money or keep your wealth, don't get divorced. It's the greatest erosion of wealth that you'll ever have come across in your life. Losses straight away. Absolutely. For both, for both parties. So yeah. introducing our guest today. Yeah, Joe Walters. Uh, welcome back. You're the second person, only besides Kerry Bolton, actually, who's about to do the second podcast. And Jo was originally podcast number 19, 19 uh, talking about her other area of expertise being estate planning. So, in this case, we're now going to her other, probably less fun part of law, and that is family law, uh, which I would suggest is we know uh, estate planning is very emotional because somebody has passed away. So, that's sadness. Divorce doesn't really seem to bring out the best in people. So, for, how long have you been doing this now? 25 years? I
1: have been doing this for, yeah, 25 years this December. Mm-hmm. And hello, Tony. Hello, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you <laughs> for inviting me back a second time. I feel very special and privileged. And, yeah, it has been 25 years since I've been practising family, uh, family law. I still have my sanity intact That's kind of <laughs> <laughs> and look it's it is a tough gig at times but I also feel very lucky to be able to help people through a tough time and I think it's a great privilege to be able to assist people in that way so it, it's hard but it's rewarding do you remember your
0: very first case that you worked on and then secondly the very first case you worked on by yourself
1: I remember my first interview with my very first client and how terrified I was and how out of my depth I was.
0: By yourself? (laughs) By myself, yes.
1: I I do remember that very well. I can remember the guy's face, in fact. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And yeah, that first interview was definitely the worst.
0: Was that out of your fear of... Having to ask these questions you'd only ever studied previously,
1: or yeah. So I mean, I studied. I studied. I, studied fam- I, I was in my. Mm, I was in my late twenties already. Yeah. Mid yep. Mid to late twenties. Yeah. And I'd studied family law at, at university. I thought I knew it all, but uh, it was a very theoretical knowledge rather than a, a, a practical. And from even the
0: emotional side, I guess, that, asking yeah, questions that, in a certain
1: way. That, that's right. I mean, people say that to be a good family lawyer, you need to be half lawyer, half counsellor. And yeah. I think that's that's probably correct. Mm-hmm. And you need to have a good working knowledge of other areas of law as well because it's actually unusual that a family law case only involves family law issues. There's a lot of other issues that often come into it um, in know commercial law sphere, property law, even immigration law at times, or criminal law, intervention orders uh, are sometimes a feature of a family law case. So yeah, you can't become a family lawyer thinking that you can just stay in that little silo and and only know about family law. Have you ever had a
0: family law case that just went really smoothly and both couples were very happy and, you know, just like... No, so I I, I saw on I think it was ABC a few months ago where they were having a a divorce celebration together with all their friends, and I thought. Why are they getting divorced? <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. seems so really good together. Why yeah, are they well, actually
1: look, getting I've, divorced? Uh, I, I have, in fact, had that. I've I've had people who are so ridiculously amicable. I do think, well, what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> you said <laughs> I, I
0: suited. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I had a couple who separated and then proceeded to live in the same house for about five years. He yeah. had upstairs she had downstairs they did a bit of renovating so that he had a bathroom upstairs they had a, a son and he just went up and down the stairs when he wanted to spend time with mum or dad so it was ideal but stay I, with
0: dad this weekend yeah. <laughs> i
1: did scratch my head and think why guys yeah yeah, yeah but yes. that that's definitely those people are in the minority and Unfortunately, most of my clients come to see me because they haven't been able to work things out between the two of them and there is some pain involved and a lot of emotion and
0: So is it compulsory to get a lawyer involved when you're going through a divorce?
1: It's not, but if there's a little bit of complexity in respect of your financial matters, it's certainly recommended mm. because it it's always a good idea to formalize a property settlement. Even if you're in 100% agreement about everything, it, it should be formalized. And often you need to formalize it if you want to take advantage of um, stamp duty and capital gains tax
0: yeah.
1: concessions and rollover relief. So yeah. often you, you need to formalize it just for that reason. And it's a good idea to, to get a lawyer involved just to make sure it's done properly and the process runs smoothly
0: okay so you're a collaborative family law can you uh, I I am well well, I'm both that yeah yeah. that's
1: part of my practice so collaborative family law is an alternative dispute resolution model that has been in Australia for a good 15 years now so instead of going to court or instead of having court as as an option open to you if you can't resolve things, at the beginning of a collaborative process both parties and their lawyers sign a contract to say that at no stage will the matter go to court and at no stage will anyone make any threats to take the matter to court. Now occasionally the collaboration doesn't work and if that happens The the parties, in fact, can go to court, but they have to disengage their lawyers. So that's a a good incentive to keep everyone on the straight and narrow. start again, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And instead of things being adversarial and positional, the idea behind a collaboration is that we work as a team and we try to work out a win-win solution that is fair to both the parties and minimises the fallout because unfortunately there is often fallout in family law matters where people do end up as enemies and and that impacts on their their children and it's pretty rare for, for couples with children to be able to just never see each other again. If you've got children, you're really connected for life. Yeah, even if they're adult Especially children, <laughs> <laughs> not even then. I know. I yeah, because yeah. they turn twenty one and they they have a twenty first birthday party and
0: they might have two. They yeah, they might have two, but they
1: probably would prefer to have one party with mm. both parents there. They're yeah. going to get married one day, possibly, and and yeah. want both parents at their wedding. They're going to maybe have children, and they the, the couple will be grandparents together. So, mm. if you've got kids you're always going to be connected somehow to your ex-spouse yeah. and to me it makes more sense if you can preserve that relationship as much as possible Yeah, and that is part of the goal of a collaboration at the end of a collaboration hopefully the couple will have their relationship intact of course it's a different relationship post-separation but hopefully they can at least speak civilly to each other and attend functions that their children are involved in together and it hasn't turned into World War Three and both parties walk away thinking, well that yeah, that, that feels about right.
0: Yeah.
1: As you said before, divorce yeah, your, your financial advice to everyone is don't get divorced and, and, and that's true. Yeah. Nobody ends up richer after divorce. It's impossible. You've got yeah. a you've got a, a pool of assets that have, have somehow got to be divided between two people. Yeah. So,
0: and two households yeah. are now paid for, with the exception that, of those right. couple of clients you spoke about. But now two households. Yeah, and you yeah, know that,
1: that's right. One
0: might now have a mortgage. The other one might now have to rent. There's there's more expenses. So yeah. the, the house. What was the household income going so far? Is now two household incomes mm-hmm. uh, no, just supporting right. that, yeah. but yeah. still it, having to support children.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So you're never better off after separation from a financial perspective. Yeah. But. Obviously, so if it was just a financial decision, nobody would ever get divorced. But yeah. that's not the reason that people separate. People separate because they're unhappy because it's it, the the marriage or the relationship is not working out, and they they realize that they're going to be better off, or one of them feels that they're going to be better off not being in that relationship. Yeah, yeah
0: and that's usually an emotional decision. So it, it, emotionally it better be, off yes. than not relationship. Yeah, that, that. yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: we've. Now in Australia, you know, got this uh, phrase from you. Um, Australia is a no-fault divorce system. Can you explain the dif- and the difference between a no-fault divorce and an at-fault divorce, which we were talking about earlier, and other jurisdictions around the world where they do differ, mm. say them from Australia. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, prior to 1975, which mm. was when the family court was established in Australia and the new family law Act 1975 came into effect to get divorced and to have a property settlement and to work out arrangements for your children you needed to establish that the other party was at fault in some way so you had to establish a ground before making any kind of application so that ground could be infidelity for example, um, so there, yeah, there were a lot of.
0: Did it have to be proven, you know, the private investigators. Yeah, investigator yeah, that's right. So that was,
1: you know, the heyday of private investigators. They had heaps of work. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, busting into hotel rooms and you know, following philandering husbands. They and, didn't even have
0: iPhones back then. <laughs> yeah, no, so <laughs> so to yeah, get yeah. the film developed. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so they
1: would have been uh, very upset about the advent of the new Family Law Act. It was yeah. not good for business at all. Another ground was cruelty, including, it wasn't called family violence back then, but yeah, if you could establish that you were being beaten by your husband, for example. Uh, Abandonment. So if you could establish that somebody had uh, left the marriage and was living.
0: Gone off for three years. Gone off
1: for three years. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, that that could have been a ground. So you you needed to establish that the other party had been bad in some way before the, the court would agree to deal with your application. And the other thing is that the uh, the guilty party was treated differently to the so-called innocent party. So the innocent party would actually be compensated in some way for the, the guilty party ending the marriage through their actions. Okay. So it was quite different. Financial to compensation? To, or? To, yeah, financial compensation. Okay. And, and also in relation to uh, Custody arrangements. So, if one person had transgressed in some way, they were seen to be potentially morally unfit to care for their children, and it tended to be that the court would award custody, as it used to be called, to the innocent party. Yeah. So fault was a big thing pre-1975. Was that, that
0: in your opinion, um, hard to know whether it's accurate or not, was was that, in your opinion, the reason why there were probably less divorces prior to back then? Because uh, from a financial aspect, back then you might have only had one household or one member of the household working, not necessarily Hmm. two.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So people actually... Stuck out marriages that...
1: I think so. I think you know, there you, were... You'd
0: sometimes look and say, why would they have stayed married for so long? You know, Yeah, so well, I think
1: two things happened in the 1970s. More and more women did go out into the workforce mm. and they you know, they had the ability to survive financially Could after they divorce. Get a
0: Could they get a mortgage being single prior to
1: 75? Oh, it was hard. Yeah, it, from, yeah. Look, yep. look, this is before my time yeah, yeah. by a few years but <laughs> yeah. but i think from I've what, shown yeah, you the I, mortgage I have, up on the wall
0: there yeah. you know that says michael bernard kofkin insurance advice uh, insurance representative uh mary kofkin married woman
1: oh,
0: oh. um and it was it was just like you know i remember showing that to my mum, and she was absolutely mortified by it and she said well i worked too i paid off this mortgage mm. as well and that was but it was interesting that she her title in life was married woman
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. No, that, it was, was that was very common. And 68.
1: Absolutely, and no, I think yeah. it, it. From what I, from stories I've heard from that era, yes, it was a, It was pretty difficult for uh, for a woman to go to a bank and and get a mortgage. So
0: if the husband beat, cheated, and and anything else you can think of, and the wife uh, shows that and proves that. Mm. She, But if she wasn't working, yeah, it was she hard. could yeah. have... Yeah, so
1: even if you could establish a ground, I think a lot of women thought twice about leaving a husband because it was just, from a practical perspective, it was really difficult. And this was also pre-the child support agency, so mm. it was actually really hard to get proper child support for any dependent children. So in, in 1975, thing, the, the other thing that changed is that the Family Law Act came into... Existence, So I think, yeah, that more and more women in the workforce together with the new act did drive up divorce rates for a while at least. I think they've, they've largely stabilised though. Yeah. And I think there, there was a little bit of moral panic at the time. People thinking that the sky was going to fall in because of this new legislation, and everyone was going to get divorced, and men were going to be leaving their husbands for their mistresses, left, right, and centre. Leaving their husbands.
0: <laughs> what? Oh, sorry, their men leaving their wives. Men, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, men
1: leaving their wives. That's
0: okay. I didn't think same-sex marriage <laughs> no. was actually legal back then. So, yeah.
1: Yes, but interestingly, I think even back then, uh, more wives were taking advantage of the new legislation and leaving their husbands than the other way around yeah and that's still the case today most a lot more divorces are initiated by women than by men and i don't know why that is exactly yeah. but
0: we have um back well today you have and i'm trying to think of the the actual word but basically it's um you know how we have domestic violence but it's uh, financial violence in a way mm, or financial support. Financial
1: abuse. It's yeah, called financial under the, abuse. The yeah, Act, yeah. So
0: yeah. was that something, you know, when did that, I suppose, become a lot more prevalent? Because there are a lot of women who try to or don't leave mm. a household because just financially they can't. I know mm. the YWCA that we've done some work with up in Sydney, they've got 400 odd accommodations for women and children leaving abusive households. but half the time they leave with nothing but mm. the clothes on their back yep. you know yeah. so it's so well, um
1: financial abuse is now recognized under the the family violence legislation which is is a separate piece of legislation to the family law act but it's only relatively recently that that has been recognized as a form of abuse mm. so it you can use that as the basis of obtaining an intervention order in the victorian magistrates court and if uh, a party breaches the intervention order, that is actually a criminal offence. Okay. So yep. the courts are definitely taking that a lot more seriously. What happens though
0: in things like, for example, where there's cultural differences? Uh, you know, for example, in a certain culture or a certain uh, mm. religion, the man looks after that. It's the man's decision mm. what to do, etc. The woman is being, say, might be physically, or the children could be as well, physically uh, abused, mentally abused. Uh, financially abused, or just here's your money to go shopping and that's all you get, mm, type yeah. of you know, so and nothing's being told about any of their finances, etc. On under that scenario, a lot of women, I've from what I understand, have actually found it very hard. They know uh. life shouldn't be like this, but they've actually found it very hard to stand up for themselves. Um, so. Under that scenario, what do they do? Do they seek shelter? Do they mm, go straight yeah. to the lawyer first? Look, there, or what there, would are would some, there are
1: some really good uh, support networks in place and organisations who who can help women in that situation. The yeah. Women's Legal Service are, are terrific. If you if any woman goes to the Magistrates Court and makes a, a complaint against her husband and seeks a uh, an intervention. Order, then they'll be put in touch with different support groups that that can help them and a lot of women don't don't realize that they can do something about that financial abuse and they can get more control over their finances yeah so it's really a a matter of um, yeah just getting the word out there and and educating women and sometimes men who are in that yeah that situation
0: yeah so it's um the I suppose when it comes to a no-fault divorce basically the courts don't care what he's he did, she did. Nowadays, it's basically so no. It's a, it's case a of,
1: lot more black and white than yeah. it used to be. So, so can you
0: give can you give an ex, uh, say well we're spoken about no fault here in Australia now, mm. but say an at fault versus an at fault jurisdiction. So I think you're saying the UK or Japan. Yeah. So
1: there are still quite a few, a surprising amount of jurisdictions around the world where they they still operate on a, a fault. Based system. Well, so I thought the UK
0: was would be rather progressive nowadays, mm. uh, but they have still got an ad fault system.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and look, some some people argue that it, it is good. What does at fault mean? Sorry, first. So, of, so yeah. that means that yeah, you you need to establish a ground so before like, you can to go further. Yeah, 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 that that's yeah, right. Yeah, so Australia. that you you can't just so in Australia you, you need a ground to to get a divorce, but there's only one ground, and that ground is that the marriage has broken down irretrievably.
0: That you're
1: actually married in the first place. <laughs> of divorces are caused by marriage. And you can prove that by saying, I don't want to be married to that person anymore. That no, That's, that's it. Yeah. it. And with a divorce, you do need to be separated for 12 months before you can apply for a divorce. But you can apply for a property settlement and you can apply for orders in relation to children at any time after separation. And there's you don't have to... Prove separation, I know in some jurisdictions around the world, especially in, in the US, you need to apply for something called a legal separation before you can go any further. You don't need to do that in Australia. If one party says, we're separated, I don't wanna go back to my partner or to my spouse, that's it, they're separated. You don't need to to apply for for any legal proof of that. Yep. So as soon as you're you've decided that you wanna end the marriage or relationship, you're at liberty to make an application for a property settlement, uh, and you're at liberty to make an application for orders for for, for parenting arrangements. There are a couple of hoops you need to jump through before you go to court though. You need to make a genuine effort to resolve things out of court, and that includes going to a mediation. So that, and that's been brought in relatively recently. So you might've heard that the Uh, the the Family Court of Australia and the Federal Circuit Court of Australia merged last year, so there's a new court called the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, and there's a new family, well, there's not a new Family Law Act, but there are new rules, and one of those rules is that before you make an application for a property settlement, you need to have tried to sort it out yourselves first.
0: The actual property settlement? Yeah, so you, yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Uh, there's been compulsory mediation for parenting matters for quite a few years now, but a new part of the new family law rules is that couples who... So, sorry, just, if I can just yep, go back one sure. step.
0: So um, let's say that um, I'm getting divorced and I'm not, but let's say I'm getting divorced <laughs> and uh, we have... We've agreed to a property settlement. I haven't sought legal advice because we've tried to work it out ourselves, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then um, we get legal advice and one of the, the lawyers says, don't you dare agree to that. You know, So that under, the, under the rules, you're giving away too much or you're not, you're not getting enough. Can that, can that actually happen?
1: Or um, absolutely, yeah. That that sometimes happens that a couple do reach an agreement, yeah. but then after one member of the couple gets legal advice, they they think better of entering into yeah. that agreement.
0: Yeah,
1: and you, you sometimes see that in in marriages and relationships where there perhaps has been a bit of family violence mm. and that coercion. Yeah, continues and someone gets talked into. A property settlement, but hmm. until the orders are lodged with the court, or until you've had something called a binding financial agreement, uh, the the settlement isn't binding on you. So you, yes, you can you can pull out if you get legal advice and and you decide that you don't want to enter into that yeah. agreement. Okay. After all. Uh, but back to your original question, because yeah. I feel like we've yeah. gone off on a bit of a detour, and. Yeah. <laughs> Un- Because it's a no-fault jurisdiction now, the court takes, or or the the process that we normally go through to sort out a property settlement is essentially a three-step process. First of all, the, the first question is, what is there in the asset pool to divide between the couple? And it doesn't matter whose name things are in, if it's jointly owned in the name of the husband or the wife. And, and when I say husband and wife, I'm also talking about de facto husband and de facto wife mm-hmm. because they're now part of the Family Law Act. So yeah. if you've been in a de facto relationship for more than two years or if you have a child, then you What's can...
0: classify as the de facto relationship? It's not just a relationship, it's living together, isn't it? It
1: is you are in a marriage-like relationship.
0: So it might be living
1: together, or it might be living in separate places, but presenting yourself as a, a couple and spending most nights together. So you don't necessarily need to be living under the one roof okay. to be in a de facto relationship. should have been married
0: for nine years, <laughs> ten <it is. laughs> so this, this this so. years. Same sex, this is. Uh, yeah, and yeah.
1: same sex couples are also included, yep. whether they're married or de facto, yep. same sex couples, because of course. Same sex couples can now get married in Australia, so they are all under the umbrella of the Family Law Act yep. and they can all make an application.
0: When did same sex couples uh, have the same rights under de facto prior to being able to be married um, as what a normal married couple would have had? Or a normal de facto? Heterosexual de facto, in Vic- heterosexual, yeah. uh, de facto um, couple.
1: In Victoria, it was 2009 from memory. Okay. Yeah. So since 2009, Victorian de facto couples have been able to rely on the, the Commonwealth Family Law Act and apply to the family court yep. to have their their property settlements so sorted okay. out if they can't. So on, the, on that de facto, so
0: on that de facto side as well, is there a time length on de facto? You like? have
1: to have been together for a, either for at least two years yep. or have a child or it can be a shorter period than two years if, if one party has made very substantial contributions towards the property of the other party. So for example, a de facto husband and wife, the wife gets an inheritance and uses that inheritance to pay off the the husband's mortgage, yeah. that would be a significant yeah. contribution and yeah. the court's not gonna say, oh, we don't want anything to do, we're not gonna help you because you haven't been together for at least two years even if they've been together for 18 months they would get leave to proceed yeah and have the court assist if needed
0: so specifically it's that two-year mark Mm. and Predominantly living together, uh, because we have had this question asked, predominantly living together for those two years, or Mm -hmm. spending... Well, it has
1: to be a bit more than... So if one
0: party had their own address and the other party had their own address, and then they moved in together a year and a half ago, as an example. Yeah,
1: Yeah. yeah, there, there would definitely be a de facto relationship on foot for at least a year and a half in that instance. But sometimes a court is prepared to say yes, there was a de facto relationship in existence even before that time. Yep. Depending on how how much involvement they have in each other's lives, the court that there's a test that the court has to apply to to work out whether the relationship counts as a de facto relationship. So things like how you know how and Involved are they in each other's lives? Uh, how do they present themselves to the world? Does so everyone one, consider one, that they're... if
0: one member of the party was earning a higher salary but the other member of the party had higher assets so they might have had a higher salary but they are really good at spending it, the other person was really good at investing, uh, under that basis, would the family court uh, take anything like that into consideration under a de facto? Or, you know, would they say, well, yeah... Basically it's a case of these assets will all now be included and it might not have been a house or anything like that
1: Yep, so are we, are we what are we talking about now? Shares, or, so?
0: shares, bank account. One party was a good saver or investor, the other party in a de facto relationship mm-hmm. Been together, yep. you know, two years or so and the other party was um, You know, just like to spend So but earned more, but earned substantially more, but it was a great spender
1: Mm. personal spender yeah look whether or not the court's going to take that kind of thing into account will depend a little bit on the length of the relationship so if you have a very short relationship or or a marriage Mm. where one party has contributed a lot more financially and the other one has spent a lot more then that yeah that's probably relevant but if you're talking about a a 20-year relationship I know. How much yeah. of a spender that other person doesn't was yeah. isn't going to make
0: yeah. a lot of difference. No, more short term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. But Again, I feel like we're going off on a tangent. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going I, back. No, to I had been the, asked that question. The, the so. three steps. Yeah. So the, the first step is what's in the asset pool, mm-hmm. and again, it doesn't matter if it's in one party's name, joint jointly owned, or even it, it, it might be a separate entity that is controlled by one of the parties of the, the relationship or marriage. So that's step one, what, what are we dealing with here? Step two is what have each of the parties contributed towards acquiring and maintaining and improving the assets of the, the marriage or relationship? Uh, what contributions have they made as homemaker and parent? What non-financial contributions might they have made? Uh, now did one of them spend all weekend renovating a property, for example? in their spare time so that the court assesses contributions Yeah. and normally they assign a percentage to each of the parties' respective contributions which is a tricky thing to do hmm. given you're not really comparing apples and apples a lot of the time yep. you're not just looking at what they each earned yeah or contributed financially
0: so if it's sort of a case of you know married for six or seven years and well i earned the money she never worked at all but hold on you're raising she was raising your children exactly. so, yes yeah, so yeah. she and, was and contributing you, to the yes. household because and that was your choice that mm. she wasn't working because raising children so you can't say well the yeah. house is mine because i yes. paid it off
1: so a marriage or a relationship is really seen to be it's a joint enterprise it's yeah. both parties bringing different skills to the relationship and making different contributions but generally, yeah, parent, uh, the, the contributions that a breadwinner makes are not seen as superior to the contributions that
0: homemaker. a homemaker makes. Yeah.
1: What the court will take into account, however, is money that has come in from external sources. So the breadwinner can't say, you know, I've, I've been earning $150,000 a year for 10 years and, and she's just been, I don't know, taking the kids to school and making... Making meals and you know, that that that's easy. I'm the one who's done the hard work. Can't do that. Yeah. And similarly, the the homemaker can't say, well, you know, he was just at work all the time. I was the one doing doing the real work. You know, I yeah. was changing the nappies and I was the one who had to get up all night. And it, it's a it's a joint effort. Yeah. And that's how it is is seen by the court. However, if one of the parties received an inheritance of a million dollars, for argument's sake, and they contributed that to the relationship, that is given additional weight. That's seen as being something outside uh the, the joint effort that it's the not parties are, been are each, together That that's right. Yeah. So now if if the marriage breaks down or if the relationship breaks down the party who contributed the million dollars doesn't get it back dollar for dollar, but it will be given weight. And yeah. the weight that that contribution will be given will depend on a whole lot of other factors like how long the marriage was, when it came in during the marriage, what other contributions each of them made.
0: So if it came in 15 years earlier, it's, it's, it's a yeah. lot different if it just came in six months earlier.
1: That's right. Yeah. There's a princ- there's a bit of a principle, it's called the erosion principle. So the, the later it comes in, the more weight it tends to be given
0: yeah. in
1: family law matters. So that, that's step two, it's really assessing contributions. So you've got step one, working out what's in the asset pool, step one, assessing contributions, and, and step three is assessing the party's respective future needs and, and other relevant factors. So that's where a court is going to want to know many children are there under the age of 18 who's going to be looking after them what what parenting arrangements do you have in place what is the earning capacity of each of the parties Um, are there any health issues that are going to impact on one of the parties' ability to earn an income going forward so anything that's going to impact on the ability of either party to support themselves financially going forward is going to be relevant and the court can make an adjustment in favor of the the financially weaker member of the couple
0: okay so I have heard on a couple of occasions um, and this is uh, where the ex-wife is actually a client of ours Um, they've usually been separated for some time uh, raising the children and in each case actually it's been the wife earning very good income uh, but dad um, he's self-employed and has a declared income of 25000 and the mum has the, ch- the child or children mm. the majority of the time but is still paying dad child support, he, although they've you know, just got some a pretty decent accountant or works in an industry where there might be quite a bit of cash. And mm. I've, I've heard that frequently. So, it's, um, so under that scenario it seems to be that mum's working full time, mum's paying off a mortgage, mum's raising the kids, mum's paying the school fees and paying dad uh child, child support. support yeah
1: the child support agency in the first instance will only go off tax returns yes. and that's all they've got to go off yeah. so it's yeah. it's um it's it's not um exactly a flaw in a system but it it can result in in some unjust initial assessment how are you living this lifestyle however that however yeah. that's only the first step so so child support is assessed by the child support agency rather than the family court. Yeah. So you apply to the child support agency for something called an administrative assessment of child support in the first instance. The child support agency will look at what both of the parties are earning and they'll, they'll look at their last tax returns to ascertain that. They'll look at the number of children, they'll look at the, the care arrangements in place, how many nights per year the children are living with each of their parents. They'll apply a formula, which is the same for all separated couples across the country, and they'll the the formula will spit out a number, and that's the number that one party has to pay to the other so in it the first instance. Doesn't matter what instance. he
0: said, she said. It's still however, the yeah. So
1: in that case, yeah. where Dad's self-employed and he's declaring a very you know a ridiculously low income,
0: especially compared to the can yeah.
1: apply for. A reassessment, or they, she can ask the child support agency to have another look at the situation, on the basis that dad's, the income declared in dad's tax return, doesn't accurately reflect his actual income. Yeah, and the child support agency can can look at other information. They would want if, if he if he operates a company, they would want to see the the company financial statements and tax returns. Yeah. and they would, yeah, that. That they can dig, they can dig deeper, yeah. and they can do a reassessment, and they can they can up dad's child support assessment, so that it's
0: yes. On that basis, I say dad has now re-entered a new relationship and mm-hmm. living together in a new relationship. Uh, is household income taken into consideration on child support or just no, dad's it's, income? No, it's not just yeah.
1: dad's income. It can be taken into account when it comes to determining a, an appropriate property settlement, however. Yeah, okay. So we've got these, these competing jurisdictions that, that are different, but they overlap. So if dad has repartnered and mm. his new partner earns an income and they share household expenses, then clearly that's that's a financial resource that, that dad has. And that's something that can be taken into account when the court determines an appropriate property settlement. Yeah, But the new partner has no Financial obligation to support dad's, dad's children, children. Yeah. so her income is not taken into account in determining.
0: Income. Depends where dad is.
1: A, <laughs> so, so, yeah. a, a child support assessment. Yeah. If they if they had a child together, that that would be taken into account in determining the the assessment. But yeah, yeah that the new partner's income is irrelevant for for determining. The child support administrative assessment but it's certainly relevant for the property settlement. So if a
0: divorce has occurred, property settlement has occurred, divorce has occurred, um, everything's been separated and child support is being paid as per what Mm -hmm. was uh, determined and then one of them enters a new relationship and living with that new person that there's not all of a sudden change and this new person might be earning mm. a small fortune yeah. but that doesn't change the fact that dad now has to pay mum or mum has to pay dad child support based on the new partner earning yeah, that, a lot of money.
1: Yeah, that, that's re- it's really be- between Still mum and dad mum and but dad, it can, yeah. I mean it can impact though on on dad's financial circumstances. So yeah. to, to that extent, it can be relevant. So if the child support agency do, a, if an application's made for a change of assessment, then mum can say, look, dad doesn't have to, dad's expenses are lowered because he's living with this very rich woman who is, is paying a lot of their expenses. So that's something the child support agency could potentially look at in determining whether or not to, to change. Yeah the original administrative assessment of child support.
0: But it'd have to be something considerable. But, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're not just talking now in a new relationship and she earns money. It'd have to be a that, considerable, right. yeah, yep. considerable change. Yep. You mentioned uh, earlier, and I want to circle back, mm-hmm. uh, binding financial agreement. Can you explain what a binding financial agreement is? So
1: a binding financial agreement is a private contract effectively between partners or husband and wife it's been part of the family law act for gosh i think i think since about 2001 so it's been around for a good couple of decades now Mm -hmm. and it allows a couple to effectively opt out of the The Family Law Act, when it comes to determining a split of assets between them following separation, provided they both get independent legal advice. So the safety net is that they both, it's compulsory for them to to each get independent legal advice before they enter into a, a binding financial agreement, otherwise the agreement isn't binding.
0: Would people commonly know know it as the American term prenup or prenup? Well
1: yes, that that's one aspect that, that's one way that you can use a binding financial agreement. You you can actually enter into a binding financial agreement either before you're married or living in a relationship, during the marriage or relationship, or even after the like the that. marriage or relationship has broken down. It's another way of formalising a property settlement. So sometimes couples will use that as a way of formalising their property settlement if there's something a little bit unusual about it and there's some risk that the court might knock back the the property settlement because the court will only make orders by consent if the orders that the couple are seeking are are considered to be just and equitable. Okay. Okay. So, So occasionally a court will say, look, this is too far out of the the range of what we consider to be just equitable, but you can still formalize your property settlement by having a binding financial agreement but yeah mostly binding financial agreements are used by couples to uh to state what they want to happen if their marriage does break down at some future time or their relationship does break down at some future time and you don't have to to do that before you get married sometimes people think oh well if we don't if we don't enter into it before we're married that you know that's it we've missed the boat that's not the case you can you can enter into a a week or a year or many years after you you get married and sometimes people will enter into a pre sorry into a binding financial agreement if their marriage is a no it's a little bit rocky and Could make it a little bit more rocky. <laughs> it's a yeah. discussion. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I, I have I have seen it used as a as a bit of a a tool w- when things are a, a little bit rough. Yeah. Yep.
0: With uh, now you don't actually have you can actually be in a de facto relationship and have a binding financial agreement too. Correct.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay. The when you if you uh, let's say for example you're... Two couple, or well, a couple comes together. Uh, they've both previously been divorced. Mm-hmm. They've both got their settlements, yep. and they've both got their assets. They come together, and they now want to, for their better financial outcome. They come and see us. We say, well, listen, for your better financial outcome, this is what you could do. But in doing that, you've now amalgamated assets in there. You know, so it might be, for example, they've got uh, an investment property here, but they've got a heap of cash. She has a heap of cash in the bank, but she's living in the house that he has that has a mortgage you know Mm. non-deductible interest etc the on that basis i'm assuming it would be a very good idea to actually for them if they're going to amalgamate some of those assets to have that binding financial Mm. agreement because if their new if this new relationship did break down they still want to be able to not have to go through all the conflict that might have previously happened
1: that's right i think if if you've got a couple coming together who've both been previously through the ringer and they both have their own assets. Yeah. Often, no, both of them want that agreement as much as the other. Yeah. And they're 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 the easy agreements to to draft and <laughs> yeah. and get over the line. Yeah. The, the more difficult agreements, I think, are when one one person is perhaps a little bit a little bit more reluctant than the other to yeah. enter into it, or where there, there's a there's a big discrepancy in the wealth. Of the parties Mm. so one party is wanting to be really protective of their wealth and the other party perhaps doesn't really have much and and let's face it they're not very romantic
0: (laughs) (laughs) no they're not so it's uh, yeah yeah the uh, the what-ifs so it's um okay do you have any other questions? No, that's all. I thank you very much for coming in today. Um, I found that really informative, actually. I don't want any of it to happen to me. No so, <laughs> it's but, to you either. Yeah. So it's, um, But I, I guess there's so many intricacies to a divorce as well. And as you're saying, there's so many jurisdictions you've got to deal with with problems. And it's not just straightforward. It's
1: it's, it's not, I'm afraid. <laughs> no,
0: it's actually not. And, and I think if anything, that's what this has highlighted is that, you know. God forbid, but if you are in that position, or you think you're gonna be in that position, is seek advice.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it uh, could be very
0: costly not to.
1: Collaborative approach is always better, I think, and an approach that involves your financial advisor as well as a lawyer is also the way to go.
0: We did have one case, I suppose, just to end on, where uh, they were separated, and it wasn't wasn't a great in respect of separation, uh, but she actually wanted to remain a client. He was originally the client. She became a client uh, through him. She wanted to remain a client. Uh, so we actually asked his permission and said, you know, if you see, think it's conflict, we can't divulge either, unless lawyers are involved, we can't divulge uh, either circumstances. I can't divulge, I can't say you mm-hmm. what you should give or what you shouldn't give. You have to seek legal advice for that. And it was interesting. He said, "No, no, I trust you. I'm happy to be. Uh, she's still the mother of my kids. Um, I'm happy. to... I still want to be your client, so I'm happy for her mm. to still be as well." Mm. So that was a, that was yeah. actually it was good to see. So Definitely. I just didn't want there to be a conflict of interest, and it was spelled yes. out right from the start. Yeah. Under no circumstances, separated households in our CRM, mm. Uh, mm. so that you know neither shall be spoken of again. Uh, mm. But they've been separated for two years and. No, so neither of them raised the other. It's mm. um, you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So that's been good. So it's um, on that basis. I thought that was actually very adult.
1: Mm, absolutely, no, it, yeah. it happens from time to time.
0: It does. <laughs> it, we're very true. Joe, thank you so much for oh, today. It's been being, a pleasure the, chatting. The to you. second to to Pete.
1: I hope to come back a third time yeah. some stage. No, yeah, no. definitely. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Okay.